Texas Children's Hospital is ranked fourth in the country by U.S. News & World Report, making us the best in Texas. Learn more at texaschildrens.org slash U.S. News. Texas Talking Out. What was that that you said? Texas Talking Out. Gonna hoop upside your head. Texas Talking Out. Tell me who can you trust when Texas Gods are CNN commentator Essie Cup. I'm looking forward to being in Austin this September for the Texas Tribune Festival. Hope to see you there. In the meantime, enjoy this week's Tribcast. Here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the Tribcast for the third week of July. I'm joined by executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Who is not that excited about the Tribfest. Not, not nearly as cheerful as she was. Uh, reporter Patrick Svitek. Hello. Back from back from the road, I guess, family vacation. The, yeah, the personal road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The hard road. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And uh, reporter Terry Langford. Hi. Who is in her final Tribcast as a Texas Tribune employee. Oh. She's tearful, you can see. I am. Um, well, we haven't gathered for a Tribcast since last week's news, um, the tragic Dallas shooting of several police officers, um, which followed news nationally around um, two shootings of black males at the hands of police. Um, Terry, you were up in Dallas for uh, this breaking news and for the aftermath. What was the scene like? What was it like to be up there in the midst of probably Dallas's biggest you know, national tragedy since JFK? Um, it was pretty amazing how this played out all on TV immediately for Dallas viewers. Um, I was about five miles from downtown and at, at a relative's house when it broke into TV and it just played out until about two in the morning. So it, it was amazing. Um, I think all of us, you know, thought there might have been a shooting of one, but when five officers were killed, it was certainly um, just probably one of the most tragic days in Dallas. Mm-hmm. I mean, what did we end up finding out about, about the shooter and any sort of realistic connection to the Black Lives Matter movement? I mean, this was just a, a random um, deranged guy, right? That's what it appears to be. Uh, he was, at, at first, the police chief and the mayor had thought that there were two shooters that were perched on rooftops, and then quickly they discovered it was the work of one, um, a former uh, soldier who had uh, deliberately made made all kinds of attempts to shoot and run to make it seem like there were more shooters than one. Oh, so that was a strategy. It was a yeah. strategy. According to journals he left behind and um, the early part of the investigation. And what did we, so there was a big um, memorial service up in Dallas um, this week, yesterday, in fact. Uh, we had, you know, George W. Bush. Um, we had the president and the vice president. I mean, what did we see from them? What, what's sort of the tone that we're, that we're hearing in the aftermath of this? You know, everybody's trying to attach something to mm-hmm. this. Um, and, you know, most obviously trying to attach their, you know, the first impulse everybody seems to, or a lot of people seem to have, was to attach their own political spin to this in some way or another. And what's interesting about watching um, both of the presidents to some extent is trying to detach it from um, that impulse and and to say, you know, this is a time to come together. And, you know, they were... um, they were kind of successful at that, kind of not successful at that. There were moments where they were both trying to attach it to something or trying to detach it from something. It's really, you know, this is one of those events that 
is horrible on its face. And part of the pain of it is that it connects to all of our underlying, you know, political conversations and arguments. Mm -hmm. And um, seems to, you know, to a lot of people seems to verify what they were, whatever they were thinking. Right. Yeah. I mean, the president's had to speak at a lot of these kinds of services in the past. But what struck me was this was seemed to be the first incident or the most significant incident where he really had to uh, strike a balance between calling for respect and, and defending the overwhelming majority of police that do their job well, while also acknowledging um, some of the, the racial discrimination or embedded racism that may still exist in, in some institutions, including police departments across the country. So I think for him, it was a really difficult balance to strike uh, in his remarks yesterday. Yeah, it's interesting. Some, one of the most compelling interviews I saw was with the um, ER doctor who treated right. a, at Parkland a lot of these police officers coming in, and he just gave this press conference where he said, you know, look, I'm going to do my duty and I'm going to save your lives, you know, you police, but that doesn't mean as a black man that I don't fear you. I mean, it was just like, oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. I mean, this has been wrapped up in sort of so much sort of incredible um, incredible discourse, and depending on where you come down, I mean, there's so many issues tangled up in here from, you know, mental health to gun rights to the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just on so many fronts. This is sort of rife for debate. Um, One of the first people to come out with a a pretty controversial statement was Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Uh, What did he say? And and did he step in it? Or was this just a perfect fodder for his base? And, you know, he kind of became the national spokesman for the um, this is what happens when you know, his view, this is what happens when you get a bunch of activists stirring this up like Black Lives Matter and the police get attacked as a result and kind of hung it on them. And then said that the people who were protesting, who ran from the shots and expected the police to protect them were hypocrites um, for protesting against the very people who were there to protect them. Um, You know, the backlash was pretty strong and pretty fast um, and not unexpected. You have to wonder whether Patrick knew that was coming or not. You know, uh, not a lot of people rallied to his side, including people who are ordinarily on his side. Yeah, I was going to say, usually his political instincts, at least in terms of messaging to his base, are usually pretty on point. I think in in this case, um, even people, you know, who I I know support him through a lot of different controversies (laughs) were cringing a little bit. And I think also this has been a turning point in so many ways, Um, whether it's a turning point to where a conversation begins, to where we finally get some um, relative plan to uh, to address the aggressive policing problem in America, I don't know. But I think what we've seen up till now has been a lot of police chiefs who have been sort of dragged to the microphone and, and reluctantly talked or been fearful or very scripted in what to say. And I think what we saw in Dallas is someone who's not only the police chief, but someone who's been touched by violence himself in his own life. And this is who, David Brown, the this Dallas police chief. Dallas police chief who's lost both a brother and uh, a son uh, to violence and who was very passionate um, from the get-go, from Monday morning, I'm, I'm sorry, from Friday morning, talking about 
you know, we've got to stop this. This has got to stop now. We, this is an atrocity on both. I mean, we've just got to find a way out of here. His own his his story is incredible. So his own son actually shot and killed a police officer, right? right? A Lancaster um, police officer. Right. And, uh, and yeah. um, Chief Brown made a point of talking to those families and that he has been chronicled by the Morning News and others. It's what a hard conversation that was to talk to the victims um, uh, of an incident that it, that came at the hands of his son. His son was later found to be high on uh, PCP, but had been, he had been, this happened like two months into his tenure as police chief. He, he had also lost a partner, I think, in a, a less right. publicized incident. Mm -hmm. Right. Pretty, I mean, pretty incredible to be, it's just fascinating. The figures that you've had at the helm of this conversation have just been like really, really interesting and really compelling voices and all this. Um, if you're tuning in live via Facebook, just a reminder, you can send questions our way and we will address them. Um, what have we seen out of Mike Rawlings, the Dallas mayor? I've seen a lot of folks, a lot of traffic on social media just buzz around, you know, is he a, the next big political figure in Texas? How has he responded to this? Could he run for governor? You know, questions about his politics. What has the buzz been around that? I, you know, I don't think a lot of people know what his politics are. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think yeah. a lot of people, you know, their think, introduction to Mike Rawlings was this. I think right. that speaks well to how he's handled it. I mean, right. when I was watching the TV coverage with my parents and they couldn't tell whether he was a Democrat or Republican. He's mm -hmm. been so apolitical right. throughout it, I think. It's, well, it's that's the, the Dallas mayor's race, you know, is in theory a nonpartisan yeah. race. Well, right. But if you're looking at him for statewide office of some kind or for something else, whatever you're imagining he might run for, mm -hmm. you know, you're eventually going to get to a point where you say, OK, so what's your position on X and Y and Z? And that'll change things. But right now, I think, you know, the you know, the most of what I've been hearing about the mayor and about the police chief has been pretty laudatory that they handled a very, very difficult situation very, very well. They calmed the city down. They were serious, but compassionate and that they, you know, didn't um, start any fires. Yeah, I mean, I think the only um, area where I've seen some buzz nationally is around this question of how they ended up killing the shooter, and that was using mm -hmm. basically a robot with a bomb, right? I mean, the first time Correct. this is the first time nationally this has been well, it's done. Well, the first it's, known it's instance. A, yeah. It's basically first a drone. Yeah, yeah, it's right. basically a ground drone, and it, it, it's not the only police department that has such equipment at its disposal. It's just the first time it was used um, and to basically kill someone. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, if it had gone awry, if it hadn't worked, I think we'd be hearing very different story. Even still, you're seeing some people questioning, like, there, was this the, the way? Reason, the reason yeah. they used it was their description of the options were that they were afraid the other option wouldn't work. They had decided right. that uh, they should take this guy out and right. that the other option was to put a police sniper on this right. and they couldn't put a police sniper in a safe position to do it. And so, you know, they looked at the whole situation and decided this was the one that would had the least likelihood of going wrong and the most likelihood of safely right. taking this guy out. Right. And even through that mm -hmm. conversation, you know, it's come out in, in days that you have sort of this unified front or decision making uh, team between Brown and Rawlings and that, you know, Rawlings was consulted every step of the way, as well as the police chief, where that's what's been reported so far. So it's been a really interesting unified front on that. Mm -hmm. What is this? 
Ross, obviously, and Terry, you both, well, the three of us actually, have worked in Dallas so, you know, over the course of our careers. This is a city that has struggled mightily with race relations. This is a city where the police department has gone to you know, great lengths to try to improve relations. You know, As recently as a few years ago when I was covering City Hall there, it was still hugely divided by race. Um, what, what does this do for race relations? I mean, I've seen a lot of sort of laudatory stories about how far Dallas has gone. Um, you know, that said, it's still a city where there's huge poverty south of um, huge segregation segregation. what is this sort of emblematic of or what does this do for race relations going forward you know it depends on what they do with it i mean you know you have a a different view of the whole situation in the last week because everybody's you know wounded and sort of taking care of each Mm -hmm. other and the question is what do they do after they're feeling better and they're not necessarily taking care of each other every day. You know, the city's divided by a river in a, in a very real sense. And that river didn't sense. go away just right. because and, of this incident. Right. And the, you know, the economics of the city and the culture of the city are, are pretty well set. And the question is, was this jarring enough? You know, the question in some ways is, was this jarring enough to really change things in some direction or another? Um, and, you know, I hate saying that remains to be seen, but it really does. It's, you know, what, what happens next? You know, mm-hmm. Brown was catching a fair amount of criticism, as police chiefs do, before this happened. And, you know, he's he's done a really great job in the last week, but, it's you know, when you reset to normal, if you re- to the extent that you reset to normal, where do they land? Mm-hmm. And, and what are they actually going to do about it? And what are they going to actually do with this experience? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it was just a few months ago that uh, the governor was – uh, talking about sending uh, DPS up to Dallas because of a crime spike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, while we're all talking about that the, the number of complaints against police in Dallas have dropped dramatically last year, I think it was by 64 percent, 64%, right. 64%, we still have a, a, a crime spike that happened at the first part of this year, which usually you would see those crime spikes coming in the summer, in right. the summertime. And so there's still trying to figure that out. He's been in office or, you know, he's been head of the police department for six years. He's done an incredible job on working on aggressive police Mm -hmm. tactics and when to use them, when not to. But we still have a crime problem up in Mm -hmm. Dallas. That didn't mysteriously go away. Well, you mentioned the governor. Um, You know, we saw the governor a lot in the midst of this conversation. We also saw him having to field a lot of questions on behalf of the lieutenant governor. I mean, I think I Patrick, I saw you tweeting that there was this on his Good Morning America appearance, like within a couple minutes, he'd been asked twice about the lieutenant governor's mm-hmm. comments. What what was Abbott's role in all of this? Sure. Well, what I was going to say earlier, and this now relates to what, yeah. what you're talking about, was I think Dan Patrick's comments stood out so much in a political context or just in a leadership context because of the contrast that Abbott provided in terms of calling for unity. You know, mm-hmm. Abbott put out this letter in the Dallas Morning News, then circulated it more widely, um, really, you know, brushing aside all politics and uh, just putting forward a very assertive, you know, pro-unity position. So I think that really brought Dan Patrick's comments into relief in a, in a very unflattering way when you have the top two officials really staking out different tones, at least in, in that day. I know Dan Patrick has probably since kind of dialed it back a little bit. Um, so I think that Abbott, you know, really embraced that role. And, you know, now we learn about this uh, incident involving uh hot water while he was on vacation. Um, he had to deal with the pain while he was, uh, you know, responding to uh, the, the Dallas attack. And so, you know, clearly uh, Abbott, I think, comes out <laughs> is looking pretty good. Yeah, right. Seriously. <laughs> Rocky road for him. 
Yeah. And, you know, Patrick picked up fighting words, and, and Abbott, along with a bunch of others, picked up words of conciliation. And, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, I think that's all the difference. Yeah. And, and you've seen Dan Patrick now, it seems, has tried to shift some of the, the attention away from that. You know, his office, you know, announced the other day that he's going to be going to all five of the uh, officer services. They're now, you know, very publicly uh, launching this fundraising drive for the families of the fallen officers. I also right. saw so him I think, kind of walk back that maybe hypocritical wasn't the right word to use. Sure. I think he's, like he that. said he didn't regret the kind of, I think, right. idea. I didn't say anything it, wrong, but, but he, that word he maybe, maybe used the great. wrong word. Yeah. Um, I think he, he knew he stepped in it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, well, uh, talk a little bit about Abbott and what we know about his condition. So the the governor appears to have been pretty badly injured, burned on mm-hmm. a, a family vacation. Yeah, so Abbott was scheduled to be uh, with his family on vacation in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, all of uh, last week. He uh, cut that short, obviously, to come back for the Dallas attack. We didn't learn until, I believe, Sunday evening, though, from his office um, that one of the reasons uh, that he wasn't going to come back was because of... Um, or one of the incidents that happened during the family vacation was this accident involving scalding hot water. They said he suffered uh, second and third degree burns uh, to both his legs. And uh, now we're learning that uh, he's gonna miss the Republican National Convention as a result of just kind of the recovery process. He's been yeah. in the hospital for two nights, skin grafts yeah, on his feet. Successfully underwent uh, skin graft surgery yesterday right. in Which San is, I mean, that's le- those are legitimate burns. I mean, we're not talking right. about like mm-hmm. a terrible yeah. sunburn yeah. here. Yeah, we, sh- right. we should note his office isn't really uh, elaborating on the incident or providing any mm-hmm. more details beyond just the uh, basics of it being an accident involving mm-hmm. him right. being scal- scalded up by hot water. Right, I mean, there's been this sort of heroic tale of him, you know, in this you know, horrific pain, still going to Dallas and not telling anybody what he was undergoing, you know, wondering if anybody would notice that he was wearing, you know, orthotic shoes or something like that, which is, of course, we only notice when Rick Perry is wearing orthotic <laughs> <laughs> shoes. Um, but, you know, this, the, we still don't have very many details. While he's in the hospital, is he still, is there, is Lieutenant Governor acting, does Dan Patrick get any, you know? No, you're the Lieutenant, you're the Governor when the Governor's out of state. All right, so as so, long as so far, San Antonio is still in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But clearly going to like, a, you know, the military burn center, correct? Right. I mean, that's well, like it sounds a, very serious. It sounds yeah. very, yeah, he's, very serious. He's at the Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, really world famous burn unit um, and had some uh, skin grafts. He had a minor infection. I think mm-hmm. that's why he had to stay yes. overnight the first yeah. night. Right. Um, you know, it's obviously very, very serious. And, right. um, and I think there's a high risk of complications when you don't have the use of but, your legs, you know. You know, the lieutenant governor takes over the routine business of the governor, such as it is, <clears throat> when the governor's incapacitated or out of state. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there hadn't been um, there hadn't been a lot of conversation about that. There hadn't, you know, there's not a lot going on in the governor's office that is of, you know, needs that kind of immediate attention. Hey, right. somebody step in here and take the controls. Right. Yeah. So uh, what are the implications, you know, if top brass from Red Red Texas are not at the GOP convention? I mean, obviously, it looks like a relatively sure. short list, you know. I of guess both. Bill Crystal was wrong about the <laughs> vice president, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is all point for that. Um, I, you know, I, I think Abbott not going to the convention in terms of his overall impact on, uh, you know, uh, the delegation. I don't know how big that will be. I mean, they're going to have to, the delegation is going to get together in Cleveland, I think, when the convention opens next week and select a new chairman mm-hmm. um, who you know, has some functions, you know, in terms of, you know, I think naming the roll call. Maybe you know more about this. Well, yeah, but, you get to announce yeah. the Mr. Exactly. President. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, it's another te- prominent Texas Republican who is uh, sitting out the convention or not, you know, going with the most enthusiastic support. Uh, we were talking about this other day. I think, you know, so far the most prominent. 
Texas Republicans who are not going to the convention uh, are Will Hurd, who's mm-hmm. you know, the, the congressman in the 23rd Congressional yeah. District. If you believe the polling is, you and know, then, uh, is land in trouble. Commissioner George P. Bush. And so now you add Abbott to that Young list. Young Hispanic. But he's, uh, yeah. you know, he's, plaus- he's plausibly you know, not going to the convention. Right. Abbott, has a, <laughs> Abbott has a good excuse. <laughs> right. right. But at the, right. At the same time, I mean, the I mean, others do too. Yeah, at, the, at the same time, they if want you to get reelected. Abbott's public <laughs> remarks and, and actions over the past several uh, past few months, he's obviously not. Uh, you know, offered a full-throated endorsement to Donald Trump. And I, I you know, I, I highly doubt, I know this is kind of a side story, given what, what's gone on with him um, uh, on, on, with the Burns and everything, but I highly doubt he's devastated that he's not going to go to the <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, he's not in harm's way. He's not one of the Republicans who's worried about, because he, he's not on the ballot this year, so he's not one of the Republican office holders or contenders who's worried about the effect Trump might have on him. The statewide officers in Texas aren't on the ballot this year, so he doesn't have to worry about, you know, his government, you know, so to, so to speak, being at risk. But I don't think it would bother most, you know, standard-issue Republicans like Abbott to not be at Donald Trump's convention. So who is going? I mean, we're so Joe Strauss is going, and you can bet he's going right. holding his nose. For, uh, you know, uh, I, yeah. I, yeah, the, que- the question yeah, right. on Strauss, are you going to be there for the whole 96 hours or right. 96 minus? So Dan Patrick's so, going, Strauss is going, yeah, but, I, but like, is... I didn't even is Sid Miller go like who's going even? I I didn't see any of the well, railroad. We, I think we should probably consult the Texas Tribune. Yeah, we have a list. Yeah, right. It's basically like we have next um, to none of us no memorized. Healthy right? amount going, yeah. but uh, you know, as we noted earlier, Bush and, and her, I think the most notable people not going. Mm-hmm. Um, you you have some statewide some elected officials who are delegates and who are naturally going. People like Dan Patrick and Ken Paxton who are at large delegates right. who are going to be there in that role. So and yeah. Cruz is now going. Yeah, Cruz not always, endorsing but going. Sure. Yeah. Ever since he dropped out of meeting and then a meeting and yeah. then, he yeah, said he would attend engagement. but what we learned i think in the last week or so was that he would uh, actually speak there as well it's yeah. not unusual not for state officials to for some state officials to skip these things it's like you're not going to be a player or you are going to be a player well if i'm not going to be a player i just assume not be stay there. home and watch it on tv yeah yeah um, although this one seems like a you know kind of a middle finger vote if you well, this one's interesting yeah. and if it you know i think if you know if all of the at least journalistic fantasies of the early spring that, you know, this might be a contested convention and it might be a good fight. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people in politics would have been, well, you know, heck, I want to see that. So what is Cruz's role going to be? So he's got a speaking <laughs> post, but, you know, he's going to, like, avoid at all costs mentioning Donald Trump's name or what? Yeah, what? 20 minutes on stage without saying the word Donald or the sure. word Trump, right? right. It's, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. <laughs> I, I personally, I don't expect him to really move it's at all on, on whether he's going to support Trump or not. I think he's going to probably Just avoid trash that Clinton issue. Clinton and, you know, and, yeah, make trash it. Clinton talk yeah. about you know his push for his own uh proposals and, and values and in um, 2020 i promised it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's going to be really interesting I, I imagine he'll also be speaking on the sidelines i'm sure he'll he'll speak to the texas delegation at some point um you know and also right now in, in cleveland we have these committee meetings going on the rules and platform committee meetings cruise forces had you know promised to stay involved in those meetings to ensure that you know for example donald trump didn't hijack the platform uh, based on what's happened over the past 48 hours, that those concerns didn't really come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Right. What will be more fascinating will be over the next two days as the, the Rules Committee meets. Um, that's going to kind of be the final stand for these anti-Trump forces. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you have some Cruz supporters blending into there, and so they're going to be trying to, uh, you know, tweak the rules or push for rules that would allow them to vote their conscience and, and thus kind of dethrone uh, Trump. Uh, in, in Cleveland, but uh, you know they're looking for they their still face they're very looking long for odds. their Robert Morrow rules. Yeah, exactly. Well, do you think do you think Trump has already turned to next time? 
Or it's Trump, not <laughs> Cruz has already turned the next time. Yeah, it, yeah, and it should be either, noted either as Clinton we, yeah. or Trump wins. And yeah, as we as we hear all about this this hype about the anti-Trump movement in Cleveland, you know, there there, there is a group of political staff that's formally working for a you know a Cruz uh, super PAC, um, but they're strictly focused on. Uh, platform rules, not formally working on any efforts to, to revolt against Trump. So at least in terms of, I think, where, where Cruz personally is and where people who are formally working for him at this point uh, are right now, I, I think that they're just ensuring that they can pave a path to uh, 2020 with the Rules and Platform Committee mm -hmm. that is, is suitable for Cruz. So uh, will Rick Perry be at the convention? Yes, he's a, he's a delegate. He's a delegate, mm -hmm. so he'll definitely right. be there. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's his relationship like with Trump? And like, he had some interesting comments, I think, this past week with regards to the border wall. Well, not a real wall. It's just a <laughs> yeah. digital wall. A digital wall. wall or, I mean, basically, it was saying, yeah. like, not going to happen. I mean, what, Patrick, what do you know about yeah, that? Yeah, he was asked, I think, in an interview on Snapchat uh, or in some, some program related to Snapchat. Uh, some about program the, related the to Snapchat. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we just made Patrick's VTX sound old. Exactly. Chased <laughs> um, a Pokemon. I think right. he, was, he was asked right. about exactly. the feasibility of, of this wall, this border wall that Trump has proposed, and, and Perry's response was, well, it's it's you know it's going to be a digital wall. It's going to be a technological wall. And Never going to be a what's, real what's, wall. What's yeah. notable is he isn't the first Trump surrogate or Trump supporter to say in a media appearance, you know, like, this isn't really going to yeah, He's full of it. Right. <laughs> you know, like, Perry got a lot of attention. But I'd like I, to be in his you know, administration, yeah. but he's full of it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, and he so. was turning Trump to, you know, an old Perry proposal. This ought to be a virtual wall of cameras and, you know... We ought to be, you know, somebody mm -hmm. in a bunker watching all these guys on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, does do, do any of these remarks hurt or help his chances of being in a possible Trump administration? I don't know how, how serious that ever was. I know we I know we've had on the record remarks from Trump saying that Perry is not going to be yeah. on the on the VP shortlist, but he, there may be a place for him in some senior level of the uh, administration. administration. I don't know personally how uh, you know how serious that that kind of floating has has ever been, uh, but definitely Perry has seemed to kind of be openly auditioning for a spot in right. Trump's administration, and within I guess the context of his own efforts, that's certainly not helpful. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, right, <laughs> right. All right, well, that's all the time we have. Uh, and I do just want to say another quick farewell and thank you to Terry Lankford. We're going to miss her, but luckily she'll be just up I-35. So just up the road. Exactly. Uh, if you have questions or comments, you can email them to Tribcast at texastribune.org. You can also shine, sign up for Tribcast alerts at texastribune.org slash Tribcast. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Ross, Terry, Patrick, and our producers, Todd and John, no Rodney this week, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Okay, I'm on it. All right, I got this. You got this. <laughs>